Hey there, I'm Dr. Scorpion Blood, and I would just like to warmly welcome you to the Menagerie of Mysteries. Long before I was a doctor, all I wanted was to be a magician. The, the wonder, the secrets, the outfits. I, I have a story from those days, a tale about the last performance of the world's greatest magician. I call it Levitation. I was kicking around Los Angeles, trying to make my way as a stage magician. I didn't know much, and all I had to offer was a couple cheap mentalism tricks. But I was young and overconfident, so I headed straight to the Magic Castle in Hollywood, hell-bent on impressing the best of the best. I'll save you the gory details, but after they found me trying to sneak in through a window, I was politely asked to leave. So there I was, down and out at the Magic Castle. As I was let out, a crowd was gathering in the parking lot. Apparently a demonstration was just starting, and everyone was staring at the roof of the place. I turned and saw a lone man in a grungy sports jersey, climbing the highest conical spire of the building. He held onto the weather vane with one hand and waved to the crowd below. Then... He jumped, and simply did not fall. He was levitating, clear as day, three stories above the crowd below. The crowd cheered, then the man adjusted his footing in thin air, and leapt back onto the spire to raucous applause. It was the greatest levitation I had ever seen. No structure around the castle, no crane, nothing I could see sticking out an errant window. Simply unbelievable. I walked for hours that day, stunned. I dragged myself along until I found a bar and shuffled in. There's nothing worse than seeing a performance you know you'll never live up to, and I was hell-bent on forgetting all about it. The bar was cramped, and the fluorescent lights spent more time flickering than lit. What can I get for you? Uh, gin and tonic, with as many limes as you can cram in there, please. You got it. You doing all right over there, buddy? Another double bourbon. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, you having a rough day, too? Could be better. Oh, wait, it's you. You're the, uh, you're the levitating guy from the Magic Castle. I recognize your jersey. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's me. Tom Hollis. Good to meet you. You are incredible. Uh, you know, I'm a magician, too. That, that's great, man. I, I've been racking my brain over that levitation. Was there a crane? I mean, it, it couldn't have been a platform. For the life of me, I couldn't see a wire holding you up. S sorry, it's uh, a patent thing. I can't tell anyone. Oh, um, 
Oh, okay, that's that's fine. So I bet you started with the Balducci, right? Balducci? Uh, yeah, Ed Ed Balducci. He invented that really famous levitation trick. Oh, uh, yeah, Balducci. Uh, I never really got around to that one. As we got off the subject of magic, Tom's mood seemed to improve. We talked about sports and news, but he really lit up when we somehow ended up on the subject of architecture. As we talked, he would occasionally adjust a dull gray ring on his finger. See, this is what they don't tell you about late modern guys like Kevin Roche. He wasn't designing for corporations. He was designing for capitalism. United Nations Plaza is just one huge glass chunk. It's got no ornamentation. You know why? Because we're rolling towards late stage capitalism, baby. It's a blank slate for whoever pays rent. The building isn't defining the business, isn't it? The business defines the building. Yeah, definitely. I was, I was thinking the same thing. It's at this point things began to get fuzzy. No, it didn't used to be a ring. I found this chunk of metal when I was doing some urban exploration, and it's just like called to me, you know? So I snagged it and shaped it into a ring. That's how I do my magic. The the ring does it? Yeah, kinda. I just focused on it and... Listen, do you want to see? Yeah. Okay, let me find a spot. I think what's happening is the metal is from a dimension next to ours. Really, really similar. Like, with buildings and stuff. But it's a different dimension. There's different buildings over there, right? So when I use the ring, I can see them and just kind of... Oh my god, you're climbing on thin air. (laughs) Yeah, this is just a fire escape one dimension over. And I can stand on it. But I'm the only one who can see it, man. I don't... I don't get it. Where... Where are the wires? They're in another universe. I wish I could show you. It's so much like our Los Angeles, but almost totally empty. Almost. What was that? What are you looking around at? Uh, It's fine. Nothing to worry about. Just gotta climb down and focus on this reality. The next day, I woke up in my hotel with a ripping hangover. Clutched in my hand was a flyer. Tenacious Tom Hollis levitates over the MCI Plaza this Friday. Come one, come all, please pay in cash. That Friday, I knew I had to see Tom's routine. I barely remembered the fiction he had weaved around his act, and I was certain I would be able to catch the crane or whatever it was on another viewing. I followed the address on the flyer and ended up at MCI Plaza, a skyscraper in L.A. A huge glass chunk, I thought, idly. 
clouds were gathering. It was a rare, rainy day, and I wondered if this meant canceling the show. A crowd was milling around the entrance. Lots of magician types, but some regular folks too, all with the same flyer in hand. Suddenly, I heard fireworks. Tenacious Tom was on the roof of the building, firing Roman candles into the air to get everyone's attention. I was certain he had snuck up there without the building's permission. He took a few steps back, then made a flying leap off. His body stopped short in midair, and his arms moved as though he was hanging onto an invisible ledge, slowly, gruelingly hoisting himself up the non-existent surface. Why hadn't he told everyone his whole alternate dimensions routine before he started? None of his pretending to struggle and climb made sense otherwise. He lifted a leg up the non-existent ledge and rolled over onto thin air, laying down, hovering 300 feet above us. The rain had begun in earnest now, drenching him and us alike. Then he stood. The crowd was shocked. There were murmurs of confusion and praise. Tom stood up with a start. I could barely see him turning his head wildly, scanning his surroundings. He started walking, then broke into a run, turning to look behind him every few seconds. He made a misstep and slipped, his leg glancing off something unseen and plunged toward the crowd below. Most of the crowd covered their eyes, but I couldn't bear to. As he fell, Tom lurched violently to the side, thrown clear of the crowd and down towards the street, where he hit the ground with a sickening thud. The crowd was screaming. I was screaming. We all ran to see the inevitable. Tom Hollis's dead body crumpled on the asphalt. His hand wearing the ring was bunched into a fist. I turned to look where he had changed course on the way down. I was just able to catch sight of a blood stain hanging in the air, revealing the shape of a stark modern facade before it was washed away by the rain. The moral of the story is a simple one. You're never going to broaden your horizons or see things from a new perspective without breaking out of your shell first and having that conversation, meeting that new person at the bar. A quote to finish off our story from Marcel Proust. The real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Hey, Mikey here. I uh, hope you liked the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Our guest voice actor for this episode was Francisco Chin. Francisco is a spectacular graphic designer. Um, I have played D&D with him, and he makes these really great maps and stuff that look super professional. Uh, you can check out his stuff at Frankenchin on Twitter. And uh, as a personal side note, if half the stories Francisco has told me are true, he has lived the most interesting life of any person on the planet. 
the writing and music for this episode were written by me, Micah Cheek, and the stories were edited by Jack Schnelly. You can find Jack's stuff at JL underscore Schnelly on Twitter. That's JL underscore S-C-H-N-E-L-L-E. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you stick around for the next one.